Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. My Reformation Day costume is actually not Martin Luther or John Calvin. Uh, I kind of like to use Halloween to play the villain, so I plan to be Johann Tetzel tomorrow. And if you don't know who Johann Tetzel is, you can Google that while you're sitting watching the football excellence that will be Commanders and Colts this afternoon. So last week, we read Daniel's prayer nestled into chapter 9, and we learned some wonderful lessons about Daniel, about prayer, and most importantly, about God. Of course, in the weeks before, we had read the amazing stories that the book of Daniel is so well known for, stories about people being faithful to God at the risk of starvation being torn limb from limb, thrown into fiery furnaces, or cast into lion's dens. We've seen a dream about a statue, a king humbled to the point of madness, a ghostly hand writing a message of judgment on a wall, and a mysterious son of man who we learn in the New Testament is none other than Jesus himself. In short, the book of Daniel is a wild ride. But through all the ups and downs of this fascinating and inspiring story, we still come back to two primary themes. God's faithfulness and Daniel's faithfulness. Both are meant to encourage and challenge us in our own faithfulness. But this is the point in the book of Daniel where it is very tempting to stop. Why? Well, because outside of the prayer in chapter 9, everything from chapter 8 on can be just as frightening as any Halloween costume that you'll see tomorrow night. These passages are strange. They're confusing. They're the chapters of the Bible that some people may read once and never come back to again. And others may read them far too much to the point of obsession. Passages like these are often neglected entirely, or they become the source of endless debates, speculations, and controversies. Winston Churchill once referred to Russia as a riddle, Wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma. One theologian feels the same way about this portion of Daniel. He warns that reading these passages can lead us to, quote, a trackless waste of assumptions and theories. But this morning, we're going to dip our toes into them. Because all of Scripture... Even the second half of Daniel is God's inspired word, and it's profitable for teaching us, reproving us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. That said, we're going to focus on the big picture. So rather than examining every individual tree, we're going to step back and look at the forest. This portion of Daniel is known as apocalyptic literature. And when we hear the word apocalyptic, we instantly start thinking about the end of the world. And this portion of scripture does speak about the end of all things. 
Daniel chapter 8, verse 17 specifically tells us so. But the word apocalyptic doesn't just mean end of the world. It means revelation. So then, what does the end of the book of Daniel reveal to us? Open up to Daniel chapter 8. Feel free to use our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that all of us across backgrounds and histories and socioeconomics and ethnicities and genders and ages, all these things that make us so different from each other, we have you in common. We have one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. And so thank you that we can come together in this place week after week and worship you with one voice and hear from your word and pray prayers together and even give together. Thank you that we have this community here at this church. And I pray that you would help us be attentive to your word, to see what it means for us as a community, as a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, but also as individual followers of Jesus who have our own lives and our own families and our own careers and our own callings. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity and help us be faithful and obedient to what your word has to tell us. And thank you for your spirit who lives within us. Lord, I pray you would continue your good work that you've promised to bring to completion uh, of making us more like Christ. Thank you for the gift of your spirit who sets us apart for holiness. And again, thank you for this time we have together to worship you and learn and praise and encourage one another. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. An Old Testament scholar by the name of Ernest Lucas identifies four standard themes of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. And we see all four of those themes present in this portion of Daniel. The first theme is that God is sovereign over history. He's sovereign over history. These chapters contain two main visions that Daniel receives. The first is found in chapter 8, and the second, much longer vision, spans chapters 10 through 12. Both visions concern kings, rulers, authorities, and nations struggling for dominance on the global and historical stage. Chapter 8 tells of a battle between a ram, representing Persia and Media, and a goat, representing Greece, Locked in this fight, with the goat, Greece, ultimately winning. Chapters 10 through 12 get even more specific in their predictions, with figures like Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes in view. Of course, there's a lot more to unpack from these chapters, but a good first broad takeaway is this. God is sovereign over history. That includes the big picture. Empires, wars, revolutions. 
And that includes the small picture. Individuals and events. None of it surprises our sovereign God. The second big theme of apocalyptic is that while evil is rampant in our world, God ultimately, eventually overcomes it. We've seen it throughout the book of Daniel. Some wicked Babylonian king or conniving Persian officials try to kill God's people only to lose out in the end. We see the same thing at work in Psalm 2, starting in verse 1. We read there, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Evil is rampant. Kings unite themselves against God and his people. And they've got great plans and big ambitions to assert their independence from God and their authority over God. Only to be laughed at in the end. Rebellion against God and its associated evils may win some battles. In that sense, evil is rampant. But it ultimately stands no chance in the war. We especially see this in some of the events described in Daniel chapter 11, specifically verses 21 through 35. Those verses look ahead to the year 167 B.C., several hundred years before Daniel, rather after Daniel was writing. In 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes would enter Jerusalem, take over the temple of God, set up an idol, abomination that desolates, because it was such a horrifying and brazen act of blasphemy and irreverence. But guess what would happen to Antiochus Epiphanes? Daniel 11.45 tells us, He shall come to an end with none to help him. At times, evil is rampant in our world. But in the end, God ultimately overcomes it. Big theme number three of apocalyptic is that the Lord will reign. We go back to Psalm 2, verse 5. Then God will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Who's that talking about, you think? My son, who I've begotten? Psalm 2, verse 7. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. As we've seen throughout this sermon series, Daniel served under at least three pagan kings during his exile away from home. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, 
and Darius. And guess what? None of those kings are still around. They're dead and gone. But God is still God. He always has been. He always will be. The Lord will reign. The fourth and final big theme of apocalyptic literature in the Bible is the call for God's people to persevere in the faith. We see in Daniel 11 verse 32 that in the midst of the worst moments that God's people might be facing, some of them would stand firm and take action. At the end of chapter 12, near the very end of the book, Daniel is told to go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. One of the greatest ways that God enables people like Daniel to persevere are the few simple words that get repeated in these final chapters. Chapter 9, verse 23, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Chapter 10, verse 11, O man, greatly loved. Chapter 10, verse 19, tells Daniel that not only is he greatly loved, but he is to be of good courage, to be strong. One of the best ways that Daniel can persevere in his faith, even in the midst of immense pressure and hardship, is to know that he is greatly loved. So we see all four of these themes in the book of Daniel. And these chapters reveal to us that God is sovereign over history, that while evil is rampant now, God will overcome it, that the Lord will ultimately reign, and that we are called, challenged, enabled to persevere in our faith. We see the same themes in the book of Revelation. The other famous apocalyptic book in the Bible that people either obsess over or avoid entirely. God is sovereign. Evil has its day. But God wins. So we press on. Of course, this all sounds good in theory, doesn't it? But how can these themes help us in practice? How do the four themes of apocalyptic literature in the Bible, as high-minded and bizarre as that may sound, how do they help us in our daily lives of following Jesus? Well, God is sovereign over history, from the big things to the small. That means that there is nothing that you encounter that catches God by surprise. He is king. He is Lord. From the big things, pandemics, wars, elections, to the small things. God sees what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. Whether it's a cancer diagnosis, a car accident, a job loss, a divorce, a chronic illness, family drama, or the struggles of aging... 
Whatever other hardship creeps up on you that catches you off guard, you can know that it didn't catch God off guard. You can and you should find great comfort in that. Of course, we can't help but ask, well, if God is so sovereign and if he's powerful and if he's good, then why does he have to let us go through this stuff to begin with? It's fair. In fact, I imagine Daniel could have had similar questions as he received these visions and saw the kind of horrible things that might happen down the line. I think deep down we all know that there's no easy answer to that question. But perhaps the best thing to remember in those moments is that God is still good. And that as we saw repeated throughout the book of Daniel, you Everything else may be in flux, but that isn't. Evil is rampant, but God will ultimately overcome it. We know that our world is fallen. Sin has brought about death, suffering, and injustice in seemingly endless forms. And seeing all of it day in and day out can wear us down. We find ourselves exhausted discouraged, frustrated, impatient, and maybe even questioning God. But we know it won't be this way forever. Whatever you're dealing with, it won't be this way forever. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of another abomination that desolates, that whole Antiochus Epiphanes temple thing in Daniel chapter 11. Jesus borrows language from the book of Daniel, and he's not doing that on accident. But in that same chapter, Jesus promises that as bad as things could get in the future, and as bad as things did get after Jesus' death and resurrection, he reminds his disciples that he will return in power and glory. That this fallen world that still looks very much fallen even after Jesus' death and resurrection, will one day be made new. Yes, evil seems to be everywhere, but God will overcome it. It won't be this way forever. And one day the Lord will reign. Finishing out Psalm 2, Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The Lord will reign. Jesus speaks about his reign in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. He says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Sounds kind of like Psalm 2. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right with the goats on the left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus will reign. God's people will inherit a kingdom. We don't know what will happen to us tomorrow. But we know what will happen to us in eternity. All who take refuge in the Son will rule and reign with him forever. And that's why we press on in faith. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 and 25 to stay awake, to be vigilant. We don't know when he will return, so we live with a sense of urgency, a sense of expectation, striving to make good use of the time that we have. We press on because as Revelation 2 verse 7 tells us, the one who conquers will one day be rewarded. The one who conquers so don't give up following Jesus isn't always easy but it will be worth it God has given you everything you need to be one who conquers one who stands firm and takes action one who goes your way till the end and receives your allotted place in his presence He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his church. And he's given you his son. That you might persevere. That you might endure. That you might be faithful. Like so many who have come before you. So we see these four themes at the end of the book of Daniel. And they matter to our everyday lives as God's people now. More than we might think. But I think we also see these themes at the cross of Christ. In the Gospel of John, Jesus only goes to the cross when his time had come. God is sovereign over history. The cross was no accident. The cross shows us that evil is indeed rampant. Whether it be displayed through jealous religious leaders, brutal and cruel Roman soldiers, or even a treacherous disciple, there was a lot of evil that led to that cross. But Jesus' resurrection shows us that God overcomes that evil in the end. Ironically, that cross is the beginning of Jesus' reign. His path to the Father's right hand, where he sits right now, ran through the cross outside of Jerusalem. And the cross challenges us to persevere in our faith. How could we abandon the Lord who died for us? The same Lord who challenged us to take up our own crosses and follow. Resurrection. Glory awaits us. Jesus rose from the grave, and one day we will rise from the grave as well. Daniel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This is one of the most remarkable passages in the entire Old Testament. At that time shall arise Michael, 
the great prince who has charge of your people, Michael being an angel. That's another feature of apocalyptic literature. You see lots of angels in there. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Knowing all of the stuff we've talked about this morning, empowers regular old people like us to be faithful. To be faithful like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were faithful because they knew that God is faithful. Likewise, you can be faithful because you know that God is faithful. And if you ever question that, If you're ever not sure about that, remember the cross. The cross is God's greatest proof that we truly are greatly loved. Now, again, this has been just a bird's eye view at the end of the book of Daniel. And there are all kinds of fascinating trees that you could go closer in to examine that we didn't even touch in this sermon that focused more on the forest though I would encourage you to take a deeper dive on your own. That said, don't get too bogged down. When Daniel pressed for more details about what these bizarre visions might mean or when these things might happen, God gives him some answers, but not all of them. He tells him to go his own way, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. As Jesus told his disciples, it is not for us to know the times or the dates of the end. There are some questions that we might not get answered this side of heaven. Are these chapters weird? Yeah, just a bit. Are they frightening? Maybe. Can they be confusing? Absolutely. But here's what we know that they reveal. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, God is sovereign. Evil is rampant, but will be overcome. The Lord will reign, and we're called to persevere. We see these themes in Daniel. We need to remember them daily. And we even see them at the cross. They're proven most of all in the cross of Christ, where he died for our sins and later rose from the grave. And in the end, these lessons are more than enough for us to press on in our faith, to be strong and of good courage, to go our way until the end, knowing that we are greatly loved. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for the gift of your word. 
even the parts that perplex us and confuse us, and we read and we have more questions than answers. We still know that your word is given to us for our good, and there is something profitable for us to glean from it. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us take these simple but also profound lessons that we see at the end of the book of Daniel and elsewhere in Scripture. I pray that we would take them and be encouraged by them, be educated by them, but also be sanctified by them. I pray that even these passages, you would use them to grow us in holiness, to grow us in our confidence in you, to grow us in our love for you, and to grow us in our obedience to you. I pray that you would help us press on in the faith. Thank you that we've seen these examples throughout history of your faithfulness to your people time and time and time again. As we said earlier in the service, you are perfectly reliable. You never fail us. You always keep your word. You are utterly trustworthy. And I pray knowing that, that we would press on, that we would endure, that we would be faithful knowing that you are faithful. Again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And I pray that we would be faithful as we leave this place in a few minutes. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
service this morning. Again, it's easy to read the book of Daniel and think about, you know, oh wow, Daniel was so faithful, but but that's Daniel. Daniel's like an Old Testament hero, and I'm just a regular old Joe, and he was faithful in the midst of lion's dens and fiery furnaces and getting torn limb from limb, and I have a hard time being faithful when an expensive electric bill comes in the mail. So I can never really be like Daniel. And yeah, Daniel is a remarkable figure. Not everybody gets a biblical book named after them. But at the same time, you are greatly loved in the same way that Daniel was greatly loved. You've been given the spirit of God if you believe in Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've repented of your sins. You have that Holy Spirit living within you. So you're not just a regular old Joe in every way. You are a saint and you are called to be faithful, you are equipped to be faithful, and God greatly loves you the same way he greatly loved Daniel, or Shadrach, or Meshach, or Abednego, or any other big-name biblical hero we can think of. You are greatly loved too, and you are called to be faithful as well. And the life that you live, even if that's far less remarkable than the life that Daniel lived. So in the week ahead, strive to be faithful knowing that you're not doing it alone, and knowing that God is faithful to you. Again, that closes our service today. We thank you for joining us. The women's study is happening after service, so you'll have a few minutes to go grab lunch and hang out here, get ready for the final women's study of the fall. Uh, You can talk to my wife, Olivia, if you have questions about that. She's in the nursery right now, but she'll be coming out here in a few moments. But feel free to stay for that, and we hope that you'll join us next Sunday as we start a new sermon series in the book of Titus. We also have our theology class on Thursday evening, men's breakfast on Friday morning, so we hope that we'll see you again soon. So with that, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this time that we've had together to worship you, to praise you, to read from your word. Uh, I pray that we would not 
stumble upon these interesting chapters of the Bible, uh, the chapters that are probably not going to show up in our devotional books, uh, the chapters that aren't going to get emblazoned on coffee mugs and throw pillows. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would revere your word uh, and that we wouldn't just treat these chapters as fascinating or, or quirky, but we would understand that they're given for our good. And I pray that we've been able to glean, we would live faithfully to you with whatever it is that you have in store for us. We don't know, but you know, because you're sovereign. And while evil is rampant, we know it won't win in the end. We know that you will reign. So Lord, call us, enable us, equip us to persevere, knowing that we are greatly loved. Again, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate proof that you have great love for sinners. We ask this all in his name. Amen. Have a great week.